If you Google second chances, a number of kinds of stories pop up. First of all, there's a bunch of stories about celebrities, Um, people whose careers were sort of over for one reason or the other, Uh, a particularly bad movie, think John Travolta, Uh, insider trading, think Martha Stewart, Uh, jumped on Oprah Winfrey's couch, think Tom Cruise, uh, made really bad personal choices. Hugh Grant, you you get the you get the vibe. There's people who are who are done, washed up, their careers over. But then somebody somehow gives them uh, another opportunity. They get a, a, a do-over. They get a chance. Maybe it's 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 a break that they're given by some person. Maybe they've been on an apology tour, but they have a second chance. Now, there's another second category of, uh, of second chance stories via Google, and these are inspirational quotes, mostly from self-help uh, authors about failure not being final. And then you've got a, a bunch of stuff about um, work release programs and prison reform mandates, and you got some stuff uh, under second chances on bankruptcy laws. Uh, <laughs> what I didn't find... Uh, but I think I maybe should have, was the book of Joshua. Now, it's not the only second chance uh, sort of account in the Bible. I mean, obviously, the whole uh, flood in Genesis 8, and then you've got a, a do-over, and uh, the Old Testament, there's 70 years of the Jews are in exile, then they get to go back to the promised land. You've got Peter having denied Christ three times, getting a, another chance to, uh, with Jesus to start over, feed my sheep. So there's a number of second chance stories in the Bible. But the book of Joshua is one of the more prominent ones. Now, as you may know, the book of Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. It's it's the first book that is after the Pentateuch. And it opens announcing the death of Moses and the ascendancy into leadership of Joshua. And, And when I say it opens, I mean it opens that way. I'm reading Joshua 1 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Quote, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So Moses has been the man for, for, for 40 years. He's been the only leader. It's, it's remarkable to try and imagine uh, one leader leading them out of Egypt you know, uh, away from Pharaoh, through the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai. He's the guy that's interacting with God. He is then going to lead them for 40 years uh, through the desert. He's been the only guy, and he's done a remarkable job. It's an unthinkable assignment. Uh, I mean, you've got a group of slaves who have got no ability to govern themselves, no experience with any kind of freedom. A million, sometimes say two million slaves. And now suddenly they're free and they're going on a 40-year hike through the desert. Uh, <laughs> I've been in that desert. Like two hours was an eternity. And Moses is going to be the guy that is, is going to keep them alive. And he's, he's, a, he's a, a prophet in the sense that he is going to represent God to them. And he acts in some ways very much as a priest. He wasn't 
technically a priest. There's a class of people for that. But, but he will represent the people to God. And he has done an incredible job over these 40 years. And he has kept them alive. And, uh, and, and now he's dead. And Joshua is expected to step up. And so um, they're right back at the place that they had started. Moses had led the people to the east uh, bank of the Jordan River 40 years earlier. They had camped there. Uh, They had sent spies into the promised land, 12 spies. Joshua actually is one of them. And then 10 of the spies come back and they give the majority report and they say, the people are huge, We we can't take this land. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb say, you know, well, uh, yeah, everything they say is true, but God is with us, we can do this. But the majority prevails, and so they go to plan B, and the plan B is, okay, you're going to be marching around uh, through the desert for the next 40 years until every adult that just made this decision, every adult that affirmed what just happened, uh, is going to die. And so now uh, they have come back to this place. It's been 40 years. And uh, they have now come back uh, same families, new generation, new leader. Uh, they're entering the promised land, take two, it's reset, it's a do-over, it's a mulligan, it's uh, time to try this again. This is what the book of Joshua is all about. Joshua is the new Moses. And whereas in the book of Exodus, Moses, opens, or Moses gives this speech, we see Joshua giving, in essence, the same kind of speech. Whereas in Exodus, Moses sends out uh, 12 spies. Uh, in the book of Joshua, Joshua spent, sends out spies into the promised land. Moses is going to give a final speech to the people, a sort of last lecture. Joshua is going to give a, a last lecture to the people at the end of his life. So we see these incredible parallels between Moses and Joshua. So I, I suspect you can see already why we're heading into this series, why I would to, turn us to the book of Joshua, because I believe there's a sense in which we are getting a reset. You are facing your own do-over, restart, second chance. There's a sense in which you are on the east bank of the Jordan River, and we have been here before, and now we have a chance to figure out how we're going to do it differently. How should I act? What should I do? How do I think differently about this? Now, before we uh, jump in too much to this idea of second chances, let me just make a few observations here. First of all, when I say we've, the series is called Reset, and when I say we've got a chance for a reset, for a do-over, for a second chance, uh, I, should, I should state that I'm not certain that we are, uh, as a country, globally, that we have, are resetting at this exact moment. Um, one of the new buzz phrases that we're hearing a, a lot is that it, it, there's a new normal that is going to emerge. Uh, I'm not certain that we've gotten to that new normal yet. Um, this week I had a Zoom call with my, f- my family. I'm oldest of five kids. So both my sisters, both my brothers, and my mom were on this call. We now do Zoom calls. Used to do them once a week when, when COVID first hit, and now we're doing them uh, once every two or three weeks. And uh, one of my brothers, uh, two of my brothers, and, and one of my sisters have jobs with lots and lots of travel. 
Uh, and one of my brothers said, I cannot imagine that our company is going to go back in any sense to the kind of travel that we used to do, especially the international travel. He said, I just think that that's probably gone. He said, maybe we get back to 30%. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what kind of normal we're going to get back. I'm not even sure we're there yet. It, um, Andy Crouch is the guy that got my attention when, when COVID was just a news story coming out of China. Andy Crouch published this long think piece saying, hey, this is going to be a global pandemic. It's coming to us. Uh, it, that's a given. We can't stop it at this point. And the only question is whether what we're heading into is going to be classified as a winter or as an ice age. Uh, and this week he tweeted out, um, it's official, it's an ice age. I don't, I don't know if he's right or not. Some say he is. And there was a Wall Street Journal article this week, uh, sort of an opinion piece that said, yeah, we got a whole series of, of kinds of crises coming. And okay, maybe, I don't know. I, I've, I've got no idea. My point is, uh, I'm not sure that we're at the bedrock of this crisis yet. I don't know how long it's going to go on. So I'm not sure that what the new normal is going to look like, and I'm not sure that we're, we're back to the starting line. But it sort of doesn't matter. The second thing that I want to say, and be sure that you understand as we head into this series, is some things about Joshua, the, the warrior and the leader. So Joshua was born in Egypt. He sort of rises to, the, to power alongside of Moses uh, during the Exodus. He's going to have 40 years uh, at the right hand of Moses. Again, he was one of the spies. Uh, Joshua is, is a guy who, who trusts God. There's much that we could say about him. I want to be sure that you get the main thing about Joshua. Okay? The main thing. And the first clue is his name, Joshua. Uh, so the name Joshua means Yahweh. God is salvation. And and. It's sometimes written as Joshua, but sometimes it's written as Yeshua. And Yeshua is the Hebrew form of the Greek word Messiah or Christ. And so there's this clear setup that, that Joshua is a, is a conquering hero like Jesus. In fact, I would say that Joshua is a, is a, uh, a precursor to Christ. Joshua is somebody who is pointing ahead to Jesus. That uh, Jesus, in this sense, is going to come along later as the new and better Joshua. And uh, uh, last week when we were moving into communion, the transition was to highlight this. Because I've sort of, I've I've used this language. It's not unique to me. It's, It's been out there for a long time. Lots of preachers have used it. But we used it a little bit last week, and that was to say, the sermon was on David and Goliath, that, remember, Jesus is the new and better David, right? David fought Goliath, killed Goliath. He, he stepped out, and he did what none of the other Israeli soldiers, Jewish soldiers, were willing to do. He did it all uh, on their behalf. He took all the risks. And there's a sense in which Jesus is the new and better David, right, who slays Goliath, who slays the giant. We don't lift a hand. Uh, well, uh, this is, I mean, this is, the Bible is not a, a disconnected series of stories, right? It is, it's got one big theme that is running through it. It's a single narrative, and there's a sense in which every story, every character, every plot twist is pointing ahead to the one who is greater. 
The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and the first woman. It points to a true and better Adam who passes the test in the garden, who survives the temptations, and whose obedience, not whose sin, but whose obedience is ascribed to us. Jesus is the new and better Abel, whose blood cries out, who is, who is innocent and who dies, whose blood cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who leaves his father's homeland to go into the void, to start a new people of God. Jesus is the, new, the true and better Isaac, right? the, the son of laughter and grace, right? who, is, who is not simply tied to an altar but released, but who is tied to an altar and killed for others, the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king, right? and, and who, was, who was wrongly sold into slavery, and, and then... Uh, returns to power and uses his power not to curse his brothers, but to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap and, and arranges and mediates a new covenant with God. Jesus is the true and better Job, the, the perfectly innocent one who suffers and who then intercedes to save his foolish friends. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but who lost a heavenly one, and who didn't just risk losing her life, but who actually loses his life in order to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who's cast out into the sea <laughs> so, that, so that the others could be saved. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb, perfect, innocent, holy, helpless, slain, so that the angel of death will pass over us. Jesus is the true and better temple. Jesus is the true and better prophet. Jesus is the true and better priest. Jesus is the true and better king. Jesus is the true and better light. Jesus is the true and better, true and better bread. Jesus is the one that it's all pointing to, and Jesus is the true and better Joshua. He's the one, the conquering hero who's gonna get us into the promised land. So there's more about Joshua that I want to be sure is sort of is animating your understanding as we move through this series. And there's a lot that we could say about the book itself. We could, we could look at the book of Jonah and, and I, I could highlight the big theme, which is that the way forward <laughs> is to trust God, even when it looks like it's going to be hard. We could look at uh, the battles, Jericho and I. We could look at uh, the cities of refuge and uh, sort of the theology behind that. We could, look at, we could look at some of the other characters such as Rahab, the, the prostitute, who is going to show up in the book of, of Joshua and then is going to show up again. So she's a prostitute. She's arguably the first Gentile convert to God. And she is, uh, uh, and, 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 and she's a complicated person and yet she is going to be the one who's going to show up in the genealogy leading to Christ. So there's a lot in the book of Joshua that we might look at. I want to focus again on this idea of second chances, the idea of restarts, do-overs, take-twos, call it whatever you like. I want to make four observations. Number one, second chances are an amazing gift. So I don't, I don't golf since the stroke. I don't, I don't have the kind of 
fine balance that you need to play golf. But I used to golf, and when I golfed, I, I got very used to this little event that would take place, maybe on the driving range, but often on the first tee, where some people would be talking, and then somebody would come over to me, and they'd go, okay, Woodruff, so here's the deal. Um, Jim and I are going to play you and Phil for a $5 NASA with an automatic two down, and uh, just for fun, on the side, we're going to have a little uh, uh, bet, two bits of point on bingo, bango, bongo. And, uh, yeah, whatever. It was always all this coded language, and I'd go, okay, look, here, I got, two, I got two questions. Number one, if I lose everything, like if I lose absolutely everything, how much am I going to owe? And if they'd say, well, I don't know, six bucks, or you're going to have to buy lunch or something like that, I'd go, okay, okay I'm, I'm good with that. If it was something steeper than that, I'd go, okay, uh, I'm calling a timeout right now, and um, I, want, I want this to be fun. So this, but the second question I'd ask is, I am assuming I get two strokes on the first tee. I want to know how many other mulligans you're going to give me. Because to me, that's the, that's the beauty of golf, right? You get a do-over. You, get a, you, you hit a bad shot, and you go, oh, no, wait. <laughs> I've got, I still got a mulligan that I can use. And I know that's not real golf, but, uh, but that is, there is joy that comes with that. Realizing that you just messed up, but it doesn't count. And I remember in, in, um, in college, you know, grad school, loved to hear on the first day of class, the, the professor say, okay, so you're going to get a drop your lowest, you know, your lowest exam score. You're going to get a rewrite papers and turn them in again uh, a second time. Anything like that. <laughs> because... Do-overs, second chances, are an amazing gift. Number two, in life, real life, not the golf course, not college, real life, second chances are rare. In real life, you tend to get what you deserve or less, but you seldom get more. And if you do get a second chance, you probably have to pay a pretty steep idiot tax for that opportunity, which is what the Jews have done, right? They got to the east bank of the Jordan River. They were told to go across. They said no. They've spent 40 years wandering around in the desert before coming back to the same spot, right? 40 years is a pretty high price to pay. And, um, and, and that's what happens. In life, you don't get a second chance unless you pay a penalty, or somebody else steps in and graciously pays it for you or forgives you. They're in the position to sort of absorb what just happened and to give you a chance to do it again. It's rare. Point number three. Many people get a second chance and waste it. Point number one. Second chances are wonderful. Point number two, they're rare. Point number three, some people get a second chance and waste it. Peter Drucker, the great management thinker, said, this was 15 years ago or so, he's been dead for maybe 10 years already. Uh, he said, when people look back at this moment in time, so back up 15, 20 years, the end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st. He said, when people look at this particular moment in time, they're going to marvel, not at how much technology was changing things, not at biomedical advances. What they're going to marvel at is that people were given, in essence, an extra life 
and they didn't use it well. And, and what he was referring to is you, you back up 200 years ago, average life expectancy was in the 30s. 100 years ago, average life expectancy was in the 40s. Now it's twice that. And, and he would argue that a lot of people in the second half of their life did not use it as well as he thought they should. So I'm going to leave that to Drucker. He can defend that claim. I'm just going to say I will note that um, many people are given a second chance and waste it. 20 years ago or so, there was a movie, um, Steve Martin, Danny Glover, Kevin Kline in a movie called Grand Canyon. And the movie was this uh, sort of uh, a, a series that seemed to be random events that were happening that, that intertwined the fate of all these people. And, and what was happening to each one of them was that some, there was some big disruption, some crisis, some cataclysmic event, a major uh, a major disruption to their life. And each of the people to whom it happened, uh, and it was very different for each one, but each of the persons said, okay, that, this is, I'm coming out of this a new person. I'm coming out of this different. I'm going to live differently. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm now, I'm, I'm clearing out the bad. I'm moving forward in a new direction. And the point of the movie, best I can tell, is that about half of them actually stayed with it and the other half went back. Given a second chance, everybody says I want to change initially, but not that many people change. Now, understand this. If you're in Christ, you're going to change because it doesn't depend ultimately upon you. He who began a good work in you will complete it, will perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. So we have that, that assurance God is committed to getting it done. But there's no reason to wait. And this is a partnership. Our sanctification is a partnership. It's, it's led by the Holy Spirit. It's ultimately a gracious activity. But, but we are expected to be involved. And I want to say to you, spiritual maturity is its own reward. Growing in the likeness of Christ may not be easier, but it's better. Life is better when, you, when, you, when the, the qualities, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things come to come increasingly to describe you. Life is better. So, number four. COVID is a reset opportunity. So number one, second chances are wonderful. Number two, they're rare. Number three, many people get them and don't use them. Number four, COVID is a second chance opportunity. Trials, like COVID, are a great opportunity to grow, but no guarantee that we will. No guarantee that you will. I was reading a a Jewish publication the other day, and the writer was reflecting on the fact that back in, in early March in the Wall Street Journal, Peggy Noonan, uh, writing these opinion pieces, was saying that, that COVID and sheltering in place was sort of new, and she said, you know, look, this is wonderful. This is what the country needed. Uh, everybody's slowing down. Everybody's having meals together. People are going to uh, realize that so much of what they were doing wasn't the right thing, and families are going to get stronger, and people are going to emerge deeper. So that, there was some articles that Noonan wrote along those lines, and this guy wrote, and he said, huh. It's not happening. Now, maybe it 
is not happening with everybody, but my point is it can happen, and it can happen for you. Are you growing through this disruption? I've been asking people uh, a lot the last couple weeks, what what is your big takeaway? What have you learned because of COVID and, and all the things around it, right? I mean, there's, there have been a number of other things, the death of George Floyd, the economic upheaval, all, the, all these things put together. What, what is your big takeaway? And uh, I, have, I have two observations of the observations people are making. So um, a number of people have, have given me things and I'm like, wow, I'm going to write that down. So um, here they are. Modern life is more fragile than I knew. Uh, I need others more than I knew. I spent a lot of time doing things that didn't actually matter. Uh, I have come to see the difference between hope and optimism. I've been surprised by the goodness of people. I've been surprised by how ugly fear is. I've come to realize that I can ditch the commute. <laughs> Some people have made observations that are really uh, quite impressive and and encouraging in a way. And then there are others who don't really have observations to make. They want to talk about, you know, the latest Netflix program that they've binge watched or something else. And again, I'm not down on Netflix. We have Netflix. I watch Netflix. I'm, I'm 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 not saying you can never do that. I'm just saying it's very interesting to come four and a half months through something and to say, what are you learning? And to have somebody only be able to talk about TV programs. So let me encourage you to see this disruption as an opportunity. I initially wrote as a gift. I, I don't, I, that's probably too, that's probably not the right word. I'm not suggesting all the things that have happened have been good, right? The disease, the, the death of people by COVID, the death of George Floyd, the, the protests, the riots, the economic pain, the unemployment. There's a lot of things about this that are not good by any definition. But there is opportunity. And um, I want to encourage you to see the opportunity. If nothing else, you likely have more time. And and you're going to have to fight so that Zoom doesn't take it all. But are you reflecting? Like, are you looking at this as, okay, I'm coming back I'm, I'm, I'm marching towards the Jordan River again. I'm going to be on the east bank of the Jordan River. What am I going to do differently this time? Now, if you're stuck, if you just can't follow me here, then it may be that the next step for you is not, is not reflecting as much as it's lamenting. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to grieve. Maybe you need to claim the, the many prayers that we get. We're given the words to, to, when you're mad at management, you're given the words to pray. God gives us the words to help us process our loss and our anger and our frustration and our grief. Maybe that's the next step for you. Okay. But just don't stay stuck because this is a reset opportunity. And second chances are a wonderful thing. But in real life, they're rare. Many people waste them. We're being given one. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are the God of 
of restarts, of second chances. You are a God who gives uh, the opportunity for confession in a, in a new morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Uh, great is your faithfulness. We, 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 we thank you, we praise you that you give us an opportunity to, to start again all the time. And there are some bigger times when we collectively face those new opportunities. Father, may we be, um, may we be better in a second round. May we be wiser. May we be more courageous. May we be more trusting in you. May we uh, do things differently because of the failures of the past. So I pray that for myself. We pray that for Christ Church. I pray that for others. Lord God, uh, help us to reset well. To your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.